three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Crash Connell, it is Friday, December the 8th, 2023. Mary Danielson, can Christians say Happy Hanukkah? Yeah. Can we? Yeah. I, never, I didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. I never have. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And well, we'll, that's the topic today. Yeah, it is the topic today, and we'll find out why. I think by the time we're done, you're going to be saying Happy Hanukkah to people. How about that? Yes, and uh, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for this Friday, December the 8th. Uh, we are welcoming back Paul Scharf of Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And I'm really glad that we were able to schedule him around Hanukkah. I think a lot of believers don't really understand what it is, uh, what it was. And I think it's going to be a very uh, informative podcast today. So, And then we can catch up with Friends of Israel in general because they have a great history, a great anniversary here this month, and I'm looking forward to that. So I am going to open, as usual, with a scripture and pray, and we're going to um, give a little bit of info about Paul and uh, Friends of Israel, and then we're going to jump in. So, my scripture today is John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, we understand by your word that you are light, and in you is no darkness at all. And, Lord, at this time of year when the light fades and the days are so short, uh, the revelation of your Son shines all the brighter, and we are so grateful for that. Help us not be discouraged by the darkness that envelops us, Lord, uh, whether it's natural or spiritual, but rather give us boldness and grace to shine ever brighter, and to not become weary in well-doing at the same time. Thank you for the light of salvation and the lamp unto our feet that is your word. I lift up Paul today and all those at Friends of Israel that you would use them, provide for them, protect them as they bless and honor your people and your name in a difficult season in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, my guest is Paul Scharf uh, with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry serving in the Midwest. Uh, for many years, he assisted his theological mentor, Dr. John Whitcomb, until he was called home in 2020. Paul has contributed to or edited numerous books, has written more than 200 magazine and web articles. Paul and his wife, Lynette, live near Columbus, Wisconsin. And Friends of Israel, you can find it at foi.org. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Mary. Great to be back with you. Yeah, glad to have you here. Last time you were live in the studio... But this time we're just going to have to do the phone call. But I always enjoy visiting with you. I think your ministry is just so valuable in these days. And I asked you uh, back in late summer about the history of FOI and if you would tell us a little bit about it because our listeners uh, maybe don't know just how far back your ministry goes. What a great beginning. And I love to hear about it. And like I said, you have an 85th anniversary this month. So tell us a little bit about that particular time uh, in history that Friends of Israel was founded. Well, thank you, Mary. It was 85 years ago in November of 1938, November 9th and 10th, a Wednesday night into Thursday of that year, 
when uh, the Nazi regime launched the Holocaust through uh, an event called Kristallnacht that many of our listeners may be aware of. Uh, that name simply means Night of Crystal, but it's a euphemism that has taken on the meaning the Night of Broken Glass. And it was uh, much like what we have seen recently in Israel on October 7th, which ha- happened, of course, since the last time we talked, Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a night of terror, in uh, not in Israel, but in Germany and in Eastern Europe, as 30,000 Jewish men for the first time taken off to concentration camps. Uh, that does not even begin to describe the damage to Jewish homes and businesses and synagogues and priceless artifacts that were destroyed, but people's lives destroyed, more importantly, and uh, just a tremendous uh, night of evil and uh, terror uh, unleashed by the Nazi government. And uh, when word of that spread, uh, it was almost unbelievable. And three weeks later, Mary, on December 1st, that was a Thursday of 1938, as a direct result, the Friends of Israel began. And uh, our first name was the Friends of Israel Refugee Relief Committee. And uh, a meeting was held, uh, or the first office was located in the Witherspoon Building in downtown Philadelphia. I was privileged to uh, stand there this summer uh, in par- as part of our encounter tour with the Friends of Israel and to see the outside of that amazing architectural structure, the Witherspoon Building. But again, more importantly than the architecture is the people who met there. Uh, they I don't know if they had a meeting on December 1st, but they received the first check on December 1st. They had their first offices there. And uh, some of our early leaders included uh, Louis Berry Chafer, the co-founder of Dallas Seminary, mm. and Harry Ironside, mm. the much-loved pastor of the Moody Church, and Charles Trumbull, who was the editor of Sunday School Times magazine, and these and many other brave and courageous uh, people, Mary, men and women of faith, came together with such foresight as our ministry's president, Jim Showers, uh, reminds us, they named the ministry Friends of Israel when there was no Israel. That's right. Uh, because they believed in faith that God would restore the nation of Israel, not simply to bring many Jewish people or a, or a great conversion of Jewish people to the faith, uh, that has been taught, that's sort of a stepping stone historically to in the progression the history of the development of doctrine, but uh, really the key is believing that God is going to restore not just the people to faith, but the nation as a whole to the rightful place in his word that he has given to it, that he has prophesied that it will be the head of the nations and Christ will rule through Jerusalem for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they believe that would begin, and of course it really began just... Uh, uh, Seven years uh, after that time, uh, with the conclusion of World War II and uh, uh, the beginnings uh, of, the, of events that led to the reestablishment of the State of Israel in 1948, so uh, ten years from the beginning of the Friends of Israel, there would be a State of Israel. Mm-hmm. But in faith, these people believed that God would return his people to their land, and indeed he is in the mm-hmm. process of doing that. Mm-hmm. Not just faith, but you know, real compassion 
real compassion and yeah. wisdom from the Lord on what was actually going on. And I'm sure at the time and all through your history, you've probably thought to yourselves, well, you know, what happened in the 40s can't happen again. But, Paul, I mean, October 7th, um, as we see the devil try to once again destroy the Jewish people through whatever means possible, no matter how hideous or, or savage, um, we're seeing the spiritual battle play out. But, you know, the, the founders of Friends of Israel really understood what was at stake. And uh, I think that's what's so yes. important about um Supporting Friends of Israel, if people are led to, they can do that through FOI.org. Is that correct, through the website? Yes, and uh, let me add this, Mary, that uh, I was privileged during these uh, last couple of months to write the blog article for Friends of Israel on this 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht. Mm. And I've been uh, bringing a special message in the same light to a number of churches, but people can read that blog at uh, foi.org it's called walking over broken glass okay. and it's Great. on the 85th anniversary of kristallnacht and the founding of the friends of israel and they can also see messages uh that i've given about that at my page on sermonaudio.com slash p s c h a r f p sharp okay excellent great those are great links um, our, before I get into uh, Shine Your Light for Israel and then some of the uh, holiday things you have going on there, yes. um, um, are there any conferences coming up? I know you, you put on a lot of conferences at various times throughout the year. Are they still going on, or is that more of a warm weather type of thing? Well, uh, our conferences will really resume in the new year uh, with a whole slate of events that uh, there will be opportunities both virtually and uh uh, physically to attend conferences. I, I don't have anything to announce at this time okay. for our area here in Wisconsin, but uh, people can keep up with all of that again at foi.org, and uh, hopefully there will be some uh, wherever they're listening that they can take advantage of. If nothing else, there will be opportunities online from Friends of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then for me personally, I'm, uh, I'm out uh, ministering in churches on Sundays and week to week, and um, always looking for opportunities, and people can keep up with me again on my page at sermonaudio.com slash psharf. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much for sharing all that. You also have a couple of outreaches. Uh, I guess we could call them that. Shine Your Light for Israel. I know Hanukkah began yesterday. Was that the first day of Hanukkah? That's right. Okay, and, and it Hanukkah goes... Hanukkah began last evening. Okay, okay. and then... And um, it goes through... Go ahead. December 15th, the week from tonight, is the conclusion, eight days of Hanukkah. Okay, excellent. And then Shine Your Light for Israel. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think this is a really ingenious idea. I certainly don't take the credit for it. <laughs> By the way, I certainly don't take the credit for all 85 years of the Friends of Israel. I'm finishing my fifth year with the ministry. Great. But uh, just to wrap up that discussion, but it's a, such an honor to you know to be the recipient of people's gratitude and goodwill for all that has been done through these 85 years and this event is another wonderful concept that uh, has come from the friends of israel and called shine your light for israel and it's a really simple concept mary it's simply you don't have to have a full menorah uh, well we can talk about that with hanukkah you don't have to uh, do anything elaborate but just make a simple statement by placing a candle in your window each night, and this really began last night, but we have uh, all the way till a week from tonight to do this. 
place a candle in your window and we suggest uh, placing a, 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 a small poster there that you can print off when you go to foi.org slash shine. We have a couple of options for you there. Mm-hmm. And you can just download that, print it out, and place it in the window by the candle saying, Shining This Light for Israel. And uh, just to show that uh, you stand with the people of Israel, you support the Jewish people, and that would mean so much I know to them. And we have, I have experienced personally, I know others have uh, certainly as well, uh, just when Jewish people realize that we are their friends as Christians. Mm-hmm. It makes a powerful impact. And, of course, if we can do that personally, all the better. But if we can do it by just putting a candle in our window for those who drive by or walk by our homes, mm-hmm. what a wonderful statement as well. And it's been amazing to see how this simple ca- campaign has been picked up uh, by so many people and promoted. And uh, people are aware of this and I hope it'll be a groundswell of support uh, that will show as people place a candle in their window for Israel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What a great idea. And I see the downloads are, are a Star of David, and it says, We Support Israel. So it's just a simple little sign that you can put in your window. I know when the Ukraine war broke out, people were uh, having Ukraine flags uh, on the front of their home. And I, and right. I remember thinking, gee, I hope, I hope people are going to show similar, if not greater, support for Israel I haven't really seen that, right. but I like to see that you're taking uh, initiative on that. I think it's such a great idea. Right. Shine your light for Israel, something we can do. You yes. also have uh, Deliver Joy holiday gift box. Tell us a little bit about Christmas boxes and Hanukkah boxes. I don't know if it's a little late for the Hanukkah box, but you do have some great holiday ideas. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. Uh, Mary, we have Hanukkah boxes and also Christmas boxes, but... Uh, the Hanukkah boxes, these are filled with amazing products from Israel. I believe they're all from Israel. Mm-hmm. And people can uh, purchase the boxes or, um, you know, I don't know, I, I can't uh, give you specifics. They would have to call uh, our headquarters at the Friends of Israel and uh, try to arrange uh, getting a box if they still want to do that for this year. Um, but they would receive this box to give the ideas to give it to a Jewish friend. And uh, I have been, uh, I have had several of these this year that I've had the opportunity to uh, try to uh, channel to Jewish people, Jewish friends, and also use them as I'm uh, presenting on Hanukkah in churches and uh, show the box as a, as a sort of an illustration of uh, what we can do to minister to the Jewish people here during this time and, just to remind us of the importance of Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And so if people go to foi.org slash Hanukkah, they can, uh, first of all, find lots of information uh, about Hanukkah, and they can also find on our website uh, regarding the Hanukkah boxes and the Christmas boxes and uh, online or through calling our office at uh, foi.org from there. They could uh, uh, see about still getting and delivering those boxes if they have a, a particularly if they want to uh, take a Hanukkah box to a Jewish friend or okay. to a Jewish organization just introduce themselves maybe on behalf of their church if mm-hmm. they have permission to do that and so forth and just simply say hey we're we support Israel and we hear about you and those boxes go all over the world and and we have uh, certainly through our our staff with Friends of Israel people out uh, delivering those in in key areas and to uh, contacts they have. And it's a wonderful ministry at this time yeah. of the year. 
Well, and who knows if it'll open the door for the gospel. I mean, that's just something to show that kindness uh, forward and to see who knows what the Lord can do with that. So that's such a great idea, too. Before we get to Hanukkah, Paul, real right. quickly, I want to ask you about that uh, uh, the March for Israel, the pro-Israel rally in, uh, near the Washington Mall. Uh, I don't know if that was uh, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, were right. you part of that? I didn't hear a lot about it, actually. I'm not too surprised because of the media. Were you there? Was someone there from Friends of Israel? I was not there, but we did have several of our uh, workers from Friends of Israel who went down to participate in that. Of course, that uh, that event was not just sponsored by the Friends of Israel, right. but we did participate in that, and and also uh, a call to prayer that went out for the following weekend. We wanted to make everyone aware of that and to pray for Israel and to pray in our churches, and so we did participate in all those events. Um, but uh, and, and people could actually go to our Facebook page at uh, Facebook and search for FOIGM, Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and uh, they could see pictures uh, and uh, and uh, you know see some of the testimonies from that. Great, great. And then also about a week and a half ago or so, a group of Knesset members and evangelical Christians and Jewish leaders gathered at the Knesset in Jerusalem to pray for the nation. Because as they say, on October 7th, life ended for many Israelis and life changed for all Israelis, which is right. uh, a lot of people maybe get on with things and don't realize that their lives will never be the same. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see people are praying uh, and right. gathering in Israel to pray for Israel. And the Lord can certainly use that. So um, that's just a bit right. of an update uh, with Paul and the ministry and things that are going on. Um, we want to talk about Hanukkah today, Paul. Um Sure. You know, just facets of Hanukkah, the time frame, what actually happened, the New Testament, the Old Testament, between the Testaments. So where do you want to start this? Well, Mary, there's so much about Hanukkah. And again, people can find uh, messages that I've given personally on my page on Sermon Audio. Uh, we, I'm sure, won't be able to cover every detail here. Right, right. Uh, just simply uh, not possible in the time we have. Yeah. But uh, to think of, to sort of back up and think of the big picture for a second, um, we as oftentimes as conservative evangelicals, um, one of our weakest areas, probably our weakest area is in, in terms of church history, especially as we compare that with, you know, knowing the Old Testament, the New Testament, and theology. Uh, usually for many of us, church history is is far down the line from those. Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes, even when we compare with other circles of the Christian world uh, who maybe focus more on church history, we're, we're pretty weak sometimes compared to them, sadly. <laughs> but if we're weak in church history, I like to say that our knowledge of intertestamental history, it's just sort of like a black hole. <laughs> and... Uh, Everything just sort of falls down in there, and, and there's not much there for us to, to draw on. And that really is so sad because it's so vitally important. Think of that we call them the 400 silent years between the books of Malachi and Matthew. Um, but that's if you think about it, that is the length that our whole country has been here since the time of the pilgrims. Wow. I mean, think of all that happened during that time. Mm -hmm. wow. And when Jesus walks onto the pages of our Bibles in the Gospel of Matthew, a lot of things have happened. A lot of things have changed. 
And what was God doing during those 400 years? Was he silent? No. He was working all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. Mm. He was working all things together for good to those who love him, Romans 8.28. And he was fashioning the world, bringing it to the point at which Luke 3.15, the people were in expectation. And it was at that precise moment, Galatians 4.4, that he sent forth his son into this world. He was preparing the world. He was preparing Israel. He was preparing Jerusalem for the coming of the Messiah at the perfect time for 400 years. Even though it's not covered on the pages of our Bibles, when we come to the New Testament, the New Testament authors presume that we're going to take some time to study some of the issues of the background so we know some of these people that Jesus is interacting with, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Zealots and uh, all these different groups and how Jerusalem relates to Rome and so forth. Mm -hmm. And one of the critical uh, issues during those 400 years is, of course, the events that lead to the celebration of Hanukkah. Okay. Yeah. And what, um, I love that perspective that you have there. It's just not a black hole of time where nothing was going on. That, that is how we look at it. That's very, very interesting. But, um, so what, at, what was the first Hanukkah? Can you just tell us what historically was happening at that time? Uh, I think around the time of Alexander the Great, it kind of is where we open that chapter where he was allowing the Jews to, to celebrate yeah. and, and he was allowing people to, um, you know, have their faith and the expressions of their faith go on. But something changed. Uh, through someone else who came along about 100 years later. Can you tell us about who that someone was? Yes, you've set it up perfectly, Mary. Uh, Alexander, of course, conquered the world and died a broken man uh, at about 33 years old, and he's compared in that way to our Lord Jesus, who died at about the same age, and, of course, two very, very different men. Uh, and Alexander's kingdom broke apart after he died, and it broke four ways. And people can read about this in the book of Daniel, chapter 8. In fact, I'd encourage uh, all of our listeners to search the scriptures as a result of our time this morning mm -hmm. and see if these things are so, and hopefully take an excellent study Bible or commentary or Bible encyclopedia, and, and you could even trace through these very verses we're going to look at in Daniel 8, uh, beginning in verse 9 we read about one of the four kingdoms that sprang from from Alexander. Now, of course, just to back up for a second, we have the four great kingdoms of the world during the times of the Gentiles that come from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then chapter 7, Daniel's vision, and uh, probably many of our listeners will know those to be Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Mm -hmm. We believe Rome has never really left, but it's going to come back in full force in the revived Roman Empire at the uh, time of the end during, I believe, the Great Tribulation that follows the rapture of the church. Um, but uh, the third of those kingdoms, the Greek Empire, uh, along with uh, the second, Medo-Persia, they're given special attention in Daniel chapter 8. And after Alexander, who you said he gave the Jewish people some freedom for their religion, and that is true. In fact, there's even an uh, amazing account that uh, the people of 
of Jerusalem showed Alexander his place in the book of Daniel and showed him how he was predicted in the book of Daniel uh, and that that led perhaps to his magnanimous approach to allowing the Jewish people some freedom to worship. Mm. But but Alexander wanted to unite the whole world, and indeed he did, uh, with the Greek language, which persisted on into the you know the Roman Empire and the time of the New Testament. But after he died, his kingdom broke four ways, and the two key ones were the Syrian kingdom to the north, the Seleucids, and the Egyptian uh, kingdom to the south, the Ptolemies. As we read the book of Daniel, these are uh, uh, important all the way to the end of time in the prophetic future, in fact. But the one that is really important for Hanukkah is the Seleucid, Syrian, Greek kingdom of the north of Israel. We read about a ruler who came uh, several numerous decades after Alexander's death uh, and is in the the early... Um, second century BC, early to middle, and around 170 BC, and this man is named Antiochus. Antiochus the fourth. He's a Syrian, Seleucid, Greek ruler. He wants to be like Alexander. He wants to rule the whole world. But he believes the key to doing so is to absolutely crush everyone, including those in Israel, those in Jerusalem have one religion, one language, one culture for all the people. And out of this comes the term Hellenistic. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's something we read about in the book of Acts, Hellenistic Mm -hmm. Jewish people, Mm -hmm. those who were made Greek in their culture. And uh, and Antiochus uh, wanted to Hellenize the world under his rule. He viewed himself to be, in fact, God. He believed he was... The, he was, this should sound familiar, Mary, he believed he was God incarnate, mm-hmm. but not the true God of Israel. He believed he was Zeus incarnate. Oh. And he absolutely squashed the Jewish people. And we read about this, first of all, in Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. And it describes events as he's going toward the glorious land, which, of course, would be the land of Israel, and this uh, little horn he's described, this is Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, if our listeners, perhaps some of them celebrate Epiphany after Christmas, mm-hmm. the revealing of Christ to the wise men, he believed he was God-revealed, Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, he printed on the coinage in Israel, Theos Epiphanes, God manifest. Wow. That's how he, what he believed of himself. And verse 10 of Daniel chapter 8 says that uh, it, this little horn grew up to the host of heaven and cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Now, stars in the book of Daniel refer to those who have a brilliant testimony for the Lord. Right. Uh, stars are used from Genesis to Revelation to picture the people of Israel. Uh, Daniel chapter 8 verse 11 goes on to say he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. Mm. And here's the key. By him, the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Um, I don't want our listeners to get confused, or, or I don't, and I don't want to make this too complicated, but you'll see two different sets of dates, Mary, for the events that unfold. Daniel predicts the exact time. 
2,300 days, that's about six years, in Daniel 8.14, and this is not a conservative liberal issue, it's just an issue of understanding the chronology of that time. Some would say these events unfolded between 170 and 164. Some would say it was 171 to 165. Either way, it's the same truth historically. We just have scholars who argue about those dates. Mm Mm-hmm. To make it simple, let's say 170 to 164. Okay. And that means that in one in 170, uh, right around uh, this time of the year, um, in 170, uh, Antiochus stopped the daily sacrifices and uh, moved toward desecrating the temple, which he did, and we believe so it would be in 167, on the 25th of Kislev, which is roughly the 25th of December. Does mm. that ring a bell, Mary? Yes, and Paul, I'm going to have you hold the rest of those thoughts. we got the whole rest of the, the second part of the podcast to flesh out Hanukkah. This is very interesting. I'm a history buff anyway, but I think these are things that uh, believers need to know about because uh, uh, the scriptures here that we're referring to, if you want to make a note, Daniel 8, 9 to 14, 23 to 26, so Daniel 8, 23 to 26, and Daniel 11, 21 to 35, in case you want to write those down for your study later on. We're with Paul Sharp, Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, FOI.org. We're talking about Hanukkah and the nation of Israel and the history of FOI, which is fantastic. And we are going to be back shortly with part two. Stay with me. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth on this Friday. My name is Mary Danielson. We are speaking with Paul Scharf, Friends of Israel, Gospel Ministry, FOI.org. And we talked a lot about the ministry in the first half, so if you missed that, you can catch the podcast posted later. But, Paul, we're talking about Hanukkah, and I want to give you the entire rest of the uh, podcast to flesh out what Hanukkah is, where we find it in the New Testament, what it means. we got a little bit of history under our belts, so uh, pick it up wherever you would like to continue with this. Well, thank you, Mary. We left off, really, 170 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the Syrian Seleucid Greek ruler who mm-hmm. is trampling upon Jerusalem causes temple sacrifice to end, and then three years later he commits uh, an abomination that desolates the temple. He uh, he causes swine to be sacrificed in the Jerusalem temple. He erects an altar to Zeus, totally destroys, demolishes the testimony of the temple, and you know harms it physically, and just brings great reproach upon the Jewish people. And this is outlined, as you said, in Daniel chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 9 through 14. And uh, also we could look at verses 23 through 26 later in that chapter. And then Daniel 11, 21 through 25. Many more details than we can cover here. Mm-hmm. But throughout this time, it's so it's so important people can highlight in their Bible some key phrases, like Daniel 8.17, the time of the end, Daniel 8.19, the appointed time, Daniel 8.23, the latter time of their kingdom, Daniel 11.27, the end will still be at the appointed time. See, God has a plan for history. Mm. He's moving things toward the time of the end, Daniel 11.35, Daniel 11.36, what has been determined shall be done. 
all of this points to the prophetic future, which we're going to come to before we close, and the future abomination of desolation, of which Antiochus was but a type who points toward a future destruction in the temple. Um, and God has all of that ordained and planned and under control. He's working throughout the intertestamental period to bring history to the time when Jesus will come at the perfect time into this world. Um, but in Daniel 11, and again, I invite people to give this much further thought and consider what we're talking about here in this program. But in Daniel 11, beginning in verse 21, we have the same man described. Daniel 11 is a, is a little bit of a difficult chapter. It's in Daniel's final prophetic vision that he's receiving. Uh, it's not like so much of the other of the book of Daniel filled with symbolism. It's written more straightforward, and it's an absolutely beautiful, perfect picture of prophetic history from Daniel's time, much of which would unfold between Daniel's time and the first coming of Christ. Mm. In fact, it's written so perfectly that liberal scholars want to say that it had to be a forgery written much later as a, a pious fraud to describe the history but being written as prophecy. Mm. Of course, we know that is impossible and it was written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by prophetic revelation to the prophet Daniel, and he told us all about this man, Antiochus, and the events of Hanukkah, but it does read, certainly with the clarity, almost of being written uh, as a history in advance. And it talks about how Antiochus would be frustrated in his attempt to rule the world, and particularly to conquer Egypt. And this goes through verses 21 through... 30, and uh, how he then takes out his rage, his wrath, verse 30 of Daniel 11, against the Holy Covenant, and does damage against the covenant. So remember, 170, he's caused sacrifice to cease. 167, he's desecrated the temple. Uh, December 25th, if you will, uh, 25th of Kislev, uh, in the Hebrew calendar, which has, uh, which is uh, lunar months, so it moves and rotates, but sure. um, it's roughly at this time of the year, um, 167. And if people read Daniel 11, 30 through 35, that's really the key text we want to hone in on, because Hanukkah, the word Hanukkah means dedication. You ask at the beginning, can we say Happy Hanukkah? <laughs> Mary, we certainly can. We're mm -hmm. saying happy time of dedication to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's what people exhibited. In fact, they had a choice. It was a life or death choice because uh, he was abominating and desolating the temple. He took away the daily sacrifice, verse 31, Daniel eleven thirty-two. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. He was manipulative. He sought to divide the Jewish people. But the end of that verse, this is what I want to be like, Mary. It says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Yeah, that, yeah that's pretty cool. And, yeah, don't you want to know what those are? Those are the people <laughs> uh, who understand shall instruct many. Mm -hmm. And uh, But others would join Antiochus with intrigue, verse 34. Verse 35 ends saying, some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end because it is still for the appointed time. 
So what happened around the time of the desolation of the temple in 167 was there was this little old priest named Mattathias uh, who went out to Modin about 15 or 20 miles west of Jerusalem and met with uh, some of the emissaries of Antiochus who wanted him to set an example by sacrificing a swine on a local altar. Mattathias not only refused, but he killed the apostate Jewish man who stepped forward to take his place, and then he killed the Syrian officer who made the order. Hmm. And the thing about Mattathias was he had five sons (laughs) who turned out to be guerrilla war uh, (laughs) fighters. And uh, they went and retreated to the hills but came back. I'm sure at first Antiochus, if he even knew about this, viewed it as a minor uh, annoyance. But in fairly short order, it was nothing minor at all. And uh, the five sons of Mattathias, the middle son was named Judas. Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer. And he led this Israelite revolt in this life-or-death battle absolutely uh, within three years able to crush the Syrian forces, drive them from the temple and from Jerusalem, retake the temple and cleanse the temple so that on Kislev 25 or December 25th, if you will, of 164, they renewed the temple, they cleansed it, they rebuilt uh, the temple articles, and uh, that is the... Uh, event that leads to the celebration called Hanukkah, where they celebrate the fact that um, they were able to reclaim the temple, and not only that, they reclaimed their freedom from the uh, forces of Antiochus, and how uh, God had overwhelmed their enemies and uh, allowed them to return and to restore temple worship. And it's uh, such an incredible victory for the people of Israel. I want to quote here um, from a rabbi who said, and this is found in uh, Dr. Whitcomb's commentary on Daniel, he quotes a rabbi who said, quote, on Purim, which is the feast in the book of Esther that commemorates the, the Jewish people's deliverance from the days of uh, Haman in the book of Esther, on Purim we celebrate the annulment of the royal edict to destroy the body. But on Hanukkah, we were rescued from the decree which would have destroyed our souls, end quote. So the people of Israel to this day celebrate Hanukkah uh, second only to Passover as such a vitally important time where they see the how God intervened to allow the nation to continue, but also that they could have continue their spiritual independence back in the days uh, before Christ, uh, at this time in the middle of the second century. And it was such an outstanding deliverance, Mary, by this man, Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer. You can imagine why for decades after this, every Jewish household would want a little boy named Judas. Mm-hmm. Tell us, Paul, about the menorah. Now, there is a menorah, the Israel menorah, and the Hanukkah menorah is different. Do I have that right? It's, it's a different kind right. of menorah. Tell us about the oil and how right. the miracle of the oil. Right. So the idea of Hanukkah, the celebration, springs from the fact that uh, um, 
there is a legend that grew, and I, I believe this is in the realm of legend. Uh, I, I, I'm with those who doubt that this actually happened or that it was a legitimate miracle. Um, but uh, the legend or the myth or the tradition states that what happened was that when they went and reclaimed the temple and cleansed the temple and reestablished temple worship, there was only enough oil to light the menorah in the temple for one night, but that it lasted for eight days uh, as long as it took to renew the oil that they needed to keep the menorah uh, lighted. Now, uh, I like what one of our uh, Jewish uh, staff from the Friends of Israel said about that, uh, that this kind of oil is so abundant in Israel, it's, it seems unlikely <laughs> that they that they would have needed that. Uh, and the fact is that, in my in my opinion, there wouldn't have been a, a biblical miracle like that between the times of the ending of the prophets of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ. And uh, so I think, and also this is not recorded till much much later in the Talmud. Hmm. Um, so it seems to be in the realm of uh, tradition, uh, like some things, and I'm not talking here about biblical truths, but things right. that have sprung up, we know that we associate with Christmas, but we realize they're really not part mm-hmm. of the history. So I think it's in that realm, but it's it's been woven into the history of Hanukkah. It does not in any way detract, uh, if that did not happen as a miracle, that does not in any way detract from the history yeah. behind Hanukkah or the importance or even the fact that it's the Festival of Lights. They reclaim the temple. They lit the menorah. And it's because of this, as you said, there's there's uh, eight uh, days of Hanukkah, and there's a special Hanukkah menorah that is has nine candles instead of seven. And the center column is the, uh, the shamash, the center candle, which is used to light the other eight. Uh, Alfred Edersheim, in his great work, uh, The Life and Times of Jesus, the Messiah, says that in memory of the events uh, that led to Hanukkah, he says, quote, it was ordered the following year that the temple be illuminated for eight days on the anniversary of its dedication, but the lights in honor of the feast were lit not only in the temple, but in every home, end quote. And so that's the the idea behind the Hanukkah, the, the nine-candle menorah of Hanukkah, and the eight days of Hanukkah and the lighting of the candles. So it's the Festival of Lights, or the Feast of Dedication, which, by the way, Mary takes us into the New Testament, if you're ready for that. I am ready for that. That was my next question for you. Yeah, because guess who celebrated Hanukkah (laughs) in the New Testament? Mm -hmm. Yes, Jesus. Well, it was our Lord Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 22, tells us, that it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and uh, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and he had a particular message for the Jewish people. He preached a Hanukkah sermon. Now, there's so much we could talk about here, Mary, because Hanukkah, in the Jewish mind, uh, follows tabernacles. And, uh, in fact, one of, we have three books that have been published through the years from the Friends of Israel on the feast. They're all excellent. One of them is by Elwood McQuaid called The Outpouring. He says, there can be little doubt, quote, there can be little doubt that the original observance of Hanukkah was closely allied with the Feast of Tabernacles, end quote. Jesus celebrated tabernacles in John 7 and 8, and he celebrates Hanukkah in John 10. 
and those link together like I like to say, like the holidays that we celebrate are what Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. For the Jewish people, it was Tabernacles and Hanukkah, and in fact, by the way, just as a quick aside, the pilgrims based Thanksgiving on Tabernacles. Hmm. And uh, as we like to say at the Friends of Israel, without Hanukkah, there wouldn't be Christmas. So in so many ways, we're carrying on, um, again, blessings we've received from the Jewish people, even in our holidays. And people really need to read John 7 and John 8 and John 10 to get a full picture of what's going on and what's on the people's minds as they're hearing Jesus and relating to him. By the way, we could bring in here the fact that the, the descendants philosophically, at least, of the Maccabeans were none other than the Pharisees. Uh, that could be a whole message in itself. Oh. Can but you, can Jesus you, uh, is interacting. Yeah, can you expand on that just a little bit? I have, I have not heard that before. Yeah, well, there's a lot of history that I'm summarizing there very, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. But the Pharisees come about, uh, over time. They're really the, the spiritual descendants, they're called, of the Maccabeans. They have, they, they're not warriors, they're businessmen, but they have a love for the law, they have a love for Israel, they have a nationalistic pride, they have a hmm. fierce independence, they're for the free market and, and, uh, capitalism, and, uh, they love God and they love their country and they love the law and they don't even want to break the law, they want to have a fence around the law. Mm-hmm. And they remember Antiochus and they remember anyone who claims to be God in the flesh. And this is on their minds as they're celebrating the holidays and the nationalistic. Hanukkah was not only, uh, it was kind of like Christmas plus the 4th of July <laughs> for the people of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And they're on their toes for anyone claiming to be God in the flesh, which Jesus is claiming. And he's, uh, he's in essence through his, the symbols that he's speaking in, of in John 7, 8, and 10, he's claiming to be God. And he's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be God incarnate. He's claiming to fulfill the essence of tabernacles, and he's claiming to fulfill the essence of Hanukkah. And in fact, in John 10, his message is about the fact that he's the Good Shepherd. This is something, again, because of the desolations committed by Antiochus, uh, the people would read Ezekiel 34 at Hanukkah, which talks about the false shepherds that sought to destroy Israel. And Jesus comes at Hanukkah in John 10, and he's talking about himself as the good shepherd who Mm. gives his life for the sheep. Mm. So there's just so much here that people, again, without understanding some of the background, uh, people certainly get uh, one level of understanding from these wonderful chapters, but perhaps not the full historical context, which shows how incredibly powerful and timely Jesus' message was to the people Mm -hmm. in that day. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of Daniel, uh, the appointed time, the appointed time. And then I think of the phrase, the fullness of time. And we know that at that particular time, God had that particular thing going on. And it really does build a faith. And I appreciate you filling in a lot of gaps there and giving us a lot of reasons to go back and read uh, Daniel 8, uh, Daniel 11, John 7, 8, 10, I think people with renewed uh, understanding will go back and read that and go, oh, I, you know, I never saw that before. And in the time we have right. left, Paul, and I, I, I could do this for a long time, but we want to talk about Hanukkah in prophecy. We want to talk about the foreshadowing right. of that Antichrist. What can you tell us about that? Well, 
Daniel applies the very same language, the abomination of desolation, to uh, a future day. Sadly, sadly, Mary, that, that was not the only abomination. That was the worst thing that had ever happened to the Jewish people up until that time. Mm-hmm. Dan, uh, 170 to 164 B.C. Sadly, it's not the worst thing that will ever happen. Kind of reminds us of current events. The October 7th was the worst thing that's happened in Israel since the Holocaust. Sadly, it's not the worst thing that will ever happen. We don't want this to be true for any individual, Jewish person or Gentile. Anyone can be saved today by trusting in the Messiah, Jesus. He died in their place for their sins and was buried and rose again, so they can have forgiveness of sin and be in heaven with him forever. But there will be a day, Jesus himself said it, that there will be a future abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Matthew twenty four fifteen, and he said, when you see that in the holy place, take immediate action. I don't believe we'll see that before the rapture of the church, but I think that it will be in the middle of a seven-year period this time, the tribulation that's coming, that the Antichrist sets himself up as God, and our listeners can read about this in Second Thessalonians 2, It'll be the time when transgression has really come to the full, mm. when the restraint is all gone, because the church will be gone, the Holy Spirit indwelling individual Christians will have left in that sense that he came on the day of Pentecost. There'll be no restraint at all, and the Antichrist will rule in the temple and abominate the temple in Jerusalem and uh, proclaim himself to be God, and he will fulfill the type offered by Antiochus but he will likewise be destroyed, and that temple will also be cleansed. Praise the Lord when mm-hmm. Christ returns himself. Mm-hmm. And so the this message of Hanukkah is just vibrates throughout Scripture from the book of Daniel onward and tells us about, uh, it, it gives us a whole background and perspective to the coming of Christ at the perfect time into the world. Um, and then we see Jesus fulfilling the really the type of Hanukkah mm-hmm. offered by Hanukkah as he he proclaims himself literally in the in the, in John chapter 10 in verse 36 he calls himself the one whom the father sanctified he uses the word there the same uh, term in the original that first Maccabees which we haven't gone into today the apocryphal books of first and second Maccabees actually have some important history, although they're not inspired books. Mm-hmm. Um, but first and second Maccabees offer some important history of these events. Jesus used the term that first Maccabees chapter four used for the reconsecrating of the temple. He used that of himself. He's saying, "I'm the fulfillment of Hanukkah." I like to say, uh, "Jesus is the the Hanukkah man. He's the mm-hmm. one who brings the real light into mm-hmm. the world." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Perhaps we could close on that note, Mary. Yeah, well, well, Paul, you bring a lot of insight. And and we were talking about, do we wish one another happy Hanukkah? Well, after this program, I say absolutely, because it is a forward-looking, not just a backward-looking historical event. It is forward-looking because we look forward to the culmination of all things when Jesus comes again. And another thing, Paul, that struck me here is is when uh, when Antiochus Epiphanes uh, had his face on the coins um, with his image, and now we will have the Antichrist who will cause everyone to assimilate to his worldview and put his image on every human, 
when it comes to buying and selling. So there's another little interesting Absolutely. connection to the future. Boy, you know, this got, went so fast, Paul. We have we have about three minutes left. And is there something specific that you want to uh, close us out with? Because I know you probably have a lot more things you'd like to say. Is there something you want to say yet in the next three minutes or so? Absolutely, Mary. Thank you. Because uh, I want to share a quote from Dr. Victor Buchspazen. This ties our whole hour together. He's one of the early leaders of the Friends of Israel, a heroic Jewish Christian man, a scholar. He spoke multiple languages. Um, He rescued people from the Holocaust, and uh, he wrote our first book on the Feast for the Friends of Israel called The Gospel in the Feasts of Israel. And here's what he said at the end of the book or at the end of the chapter on Hanukkah, I should say, Christ, the Son of Righteousness, has dimmed the lights of Hanukkah. He said, we thank God for these small lights during the darkness of the past night, but we go on to live in the daylight from on high. Hmm. And it reminds me of Revelation 22, verse, excuse me, 21, verse 22, where John says, I saw no temple in the holy city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Mm. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Mm. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And when we're in that city and we see Christ, the Hanukkah man, bringing the light of the world literally to the new heavens and new earth. No one is going to say, but where's Mattathias? But where's Judas? But where's the menorah? Where's the Hanukkah? There will be only the light of Christ forever and ever. We'll live in his daylight from on high. The Hanukkah man is Jesus. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, and it's bringing me to mind a verse in Romans uh, 13. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us walk in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness or lewdness and lust, strife and envy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him is no darkness at all, which is what we opened up with here. Um, Paul Scharf, uh, Friends of Israel, GospelMinistry.org. Thank you so much for just all that information and and a wealth of things that we can um, take back to our our time in the scriptures and and just look at this from from a whole fresh perspective. And as um, Crash is here, and, and he said, "Can we wish one another happy Happy Hanukkah?" And I think we've answered that question. Um, and so, yeah. Paul, thank you so much. Again, we want to have you back in January. Thank you so much for your wisdom and insight on these things. Thank you, Mary. It's always a joy and privilege, and uh, may God bless all of our listeners, and may we all say to one another and to those we meet, Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you, Paul. God bless you. All right, this has been Stand Up for the Truth for this Hanukkah season. I hope you got something out of it. I sure did. I learned a lot. Um, I knew some of the bare bones of Hanukkah, but I didn't really know as much as uh, Paul Scharf knows about it. So what a huge blessing. Monday we have a fresh podcast with Kevin Minsky hosting. Tuesday we're going to have some headlines. And then to round out the week, Thursday and Friday, we have Don Stewart and Gary Ka. So that should be very, very informative. We'll catch up with them on what's going on and what's going on with their ministries. And, and they're just great, great interviews. So... Uh, that's it for this week. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. 